0: Here we go. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Sappho podcast. Coming to you today not from my studio at Jack Dempsey's, but from my other studio, my studio apartment here in ice cold freezing New York City. Look, anytime I get to interview a Kentucky Wildcat, Bruce Gibbons, Cameron Mills, Derek Anderson, Sean Woods, I get excited. But tonight, even a little more excited. Everyone knows I became a Kentucky fan. That faithful Christian Leitner game in 92. But the first team I truly fell in love with was the 96 team. And today's guest was the leader of that team. So I'm privileged to have this guy on my show the aforementioned Kentucky legend, 10 year NBA veteran, most outstanding player in the 96 Final Four, NCAA champion. And from what I'm hearing, a wine connoisseur and soon to be author. <laughs> my man, Double Zero, Tony Delk. What's up, Tony? Hey, Mike, I appreciate
1: you having me on, man. I, I don't think anyone has had a better intro for me than you. So, <laughs> first class, man. I appreciate
0: it. My close friendship with Cameron Mills against me. Is that okay?
1: <laughs> no, no. Cam, like, uh, Cam is one of those guys, man, you know, what? he really helped us, uh, you know, win a championship in 98, but he also was a guy that came to practice, worked hard, improved, and got better and went from a walk-on to a guy that Became a, uh, a key player in that '98 team. So Cam's a great guy. His radio show was doing well, and a lot of people follow Cam.
0: Yeah, he, he's actually a good person. I consider him one of like my closest friends. Anytime I'm, you know, maybe up to some shenanigans and stuff, I'm always thinking, all right, what's Cam going to think about this? He leads such a good <laughs> life. Like he's a he, he's a good inspiration.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he's like uh, like a Mark Pope or Jeff Shepard. You know, when you play when you have three teammates that are are heavily involved. Uh, on the spiritual side, you know, it does make you think twice about what you're doing, who's watching you. So we had three of those guys that kept their eyes on us at all times. And it actually kept us in line, you know, just having uh, really good guys and just having players at such an early, early age uh, have a spiritual connection. It says a lot about, you know, their parents and uh, their morals.
0: Now, Tony, before we talk some basketball, how does Tony Delk, the sharpshooting NBA vet, get into the wine business?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, actually, it started about maybe five years ago when I was uh, coaching uh, at New Mexico State, and a friend from mine uh, from California, he he approached me about, you know, maybe getting involved with the wine, and at the time, I told him I really didn't know a lot about it. I I don't drink wine, and, um, you know, I would have to be more familiar with what's going on. So, anyway, long story short, I flew out, met him, he went out to Napa Valley, tried out a couple different wines, and I really didn't know a lot about the business, and uh, my girlfriend, Nicole. You know, I, I approached her with, I said, hey, you know, a few years ago, this guy came to me with a great idea about some wine, and he thought about why not start it in, you know, Kentucky. And instead of me going all the way out to California, I wanted to have an investment or venture that was close to me that I could drive to and kind of learn the game the right way. And I've been fortunate enough to just have, i surrounded myself with really good people. So when I made this decision, it was, uh, you know, for me, it was an investment that, you know, like I said, I don't know a lot about, but I was willing to take that risk, and I think so many times we look at certain things and certain event, uh, ventures, and we don't know if it's good for us, and when it might not be good for you, that means that, you know, you might have to take a risk just to see where it goes, and uh, it's done extremely well. I think uh, been, I've been grateful uh, for just the privilege to have so many good people to work with, but also. Uh, helped me understand the game so i've been excited about it when we launched it in lexington i had i got a lot of support and just having the name lorenzo's behind him with the double zeros i really has helped me branded more so really i'm just working on you know, like said, a lot of different things but really trying
0: to build my own brand now i'm a now tony i'm a beer guy and uh the kentucky people up here and i, I lived in new york my whole life so they make me drink the kbb the kentucky bourbon beer that's that thing's dangerous. What I, makes your wine kind of different? Did I actually heard the, does wine have bourbon in it? Is that what I read?
1: Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Chardonnay, uh, you know, it's it's more of the the stainless steel. But the one that the people in Kentucky really have picked up on is the Cabernet. You know, it's a full body dry red wine, aged in the in the used black bourbon barrel for over a year, and it gives you that that fruity taste. And uh, it's a it's a really it's a different taste for most people. But if you're a bourbon drinker Uh, in a wine kind of sore, You know, it's a good mixture. It has a good taste. It has a nice kick behind it. But it's also something that you can drink, uh, you know, at at the club, uh, restaurants, you can have for dinner at night. And when I thought about wines, I thought about something that, you know, could be, uh, you know, people could purchase, but also they could drink it, you know, throughout the day and it wouldn't affect them. But I think it's been good because with the – having that bourbon barrel taste, uh, you know, it's something that Kentucky – Kentucky people uh, really like, and I think it's good for the market, you know, just to come out, for me to come out with something that people can uh, actually taste. And, and what we did on the launch, we got a lot of good feedback, and uh, everyone was uh, happy about, you know, the taste. Um, you know, so my,
0: my girlfriend
1: helped pick the taste of two different ones, and uh, we plan on maybe having a third one come out in the fall, but uh, we're going to keep pushing these two. Um, and uh, just keep selling to people and uh, just keep getting back good responses and, you know, keep putting out a good product where it's going to get around, and that's what's happening in the state of
0: Kentucky. Now, Tony, so this might sound like a dumb question, but is the process of it making fun, sampling it, trying it, seeing what's good, what's not?
1: Uh, not well, it, it just depends. I mean, you know, you have to figure out – I always say people got to figure out what works for them, you know, and when it comes down to wine, you know, wine is, is a – you know, from what I'm hearing is a preference. Um, you know, people like different kinds of wine. And, you know, you have to see what the, mark, what the market demands. And that was kind of like the first thing when I started sitting down and talking to different people. I had to see what the market in Kentucky, what what they like, whether it was outside, Lexington, within Lexington. So I had to get a feel and a pulse for that market. And, and then I had a lot of good friends that I went to high school with that also supported me in buying my wine. So it's really just having a, a, a good audience, but also good people around that, you know, that see me come out with something new, but also support me in
0: this. Now, I'm going to make a promise to you. I've, and this is the truth, Tony. I've never had a glass of wine in my entire life. I'm a beer drinker. I don't drink like liquor, but I'm coming down to Kentucky. They're making me go to Keeneland for the first time, and I'm going to have okay. wine, and I'll send you a picture of it when I get down there in April.
1: Hey, make it happen, man. I'm, I'm going to hold your feet to the <laughs> fire on that, you know. When you get to town, when you come to Lexington, that means you're going to have either, I think, if you are a beer drinker, let's lead you towards the, uh, the Cabernet, you know, so it's going to give you a little bit more kick, but also it's going to give you a nice, clean, smooth taste that I know you're going to enjoy, and hopefully you can pass it on to people up in New York.
0: I promise you that. Now, listen, besides the wine, you also have a book coming out, because listen, right before you came on, I Googled you, so you have a book coming out, Shooters. Do you have yeah. a release date, and what's the book about?
1: Well, we should be finished, uh, I think the book will be finished sometime uh, late February. And it's, it's about my life story uh, coming from Brownsville. It's the story behind the double zero. So the story coming starting my, you know, let's say basketball career in a small town and being able to make it to the NBA. And I think it was, uh, you know, just having, um, you know, so many support, having a great supporting cast around me from brothers to my my parents, my high school teammate, uh, my my classmate, that my dream came true, and it was a lot of hard work, and you know, and all, and I think the most important thing is that I never got off off track. You know, I stayed focused on the big picture. Uh, basketball was something I loved, so when I when I put in when I into this book is my life story, but it's the true the true meaning of what it takes to make it, and not let other people tell you what you can and cannot do. You know, I I had a a strong belief, um, you know, have a great foundation that, you know, over with my parents and, you know, I just believed in everything that I put into basketball and I was going to get, I was going to get back. And, you know, I put countless hours in so many days um, during my, my younger years that, you know, I fell in love with basketball. So basketball was my first true love and it gave me, it opened up so many doors for me. So it's about coming from Brownsville you know, going to Kentucky and getting ready almost almost leaving Kentucky after after four or five games of not playing and you know and uh you know and just staying and believing in the process to coach there and he had a game he had a game plan for me. But when you're like eighteen or nineteen and you see your peers playing, you're not really seeing yourself as a as a player that's that's gonna make it because you see those guys playing you're not playing and the first thing you want to do is go to where you can play and get playing time. But I thought what it did for, for my career was it made me work a lot harder, you know, and let me know that, okay, the job is going to be hard. If it was easy, there would be so many other players in the NBA. So just having a great coach with a game plan uh, to keep me focused and um, to, to basically surround me with other good teammates, you know. So I had to work extremely hard just to keep my position, but it prepared me for that next level.
0: Now, speaking of your teammates, the 96 96- guys now, does that did that play a part in you like, you know what I love this team? Look at these glory days. Let me write the book, or is it uh did you have that idea before that? Well, you know, I always thought
1: about, you know, just my life. Like I I had a story that that people uh needed to hear. I wanted to get out there. You know, I think when we started looking at guys that make the NBA, you know, they're coming from a big city, um, and just coming from a small town of less than ten thousand people in Tennessee. I don't think anyone could have ever, you know, a kid from Brownsville, Tennessee, can make it to the NBA, you know, there's no one had ever made it. and It wasn't like, you know, I knew anyone who had played on the next level. It was more about watching on TV and, um, you know, just dreaming like, man, maybe I could be one of those guys one day. But, you know, it's still, it's still, a, it's still a dream, you know, uh, to turn something to reality. You have to keep working, and, and, and it's a process. You know, there's different levels from middle school to high school to college and then NBA and that's where I had to under, understand on each level. I had to get, improve and keep getting better, you know. So as soon as I got better in middle school, I'm like, now I'm ready for high school. There's a there, It presents a new challenge, and then there's a, another challenge in college, you know, because now the pool gets smart, uh, smaller. And, you know, you're only going to be drafted, they're only going to draft 60-some players, and you have to be in that first round to get a guaranteed contract, you know. So it goes from, uh, you know, Millions of players playing to now it's down to, you know, less than 100 that, that will get drafted. So it, it makes you work a lot harder, but also, uh, for me, it let me know how much work I put in. And then, you know, just getting a good break and, uh, you know, just believing in myself and just having, like I said, the most important thing was having a great support staff that, keep me, that kept me focused. And, uh, you know, I had a desire that was undeniable.
0: Now, who was the guy growing up in in, uh, Tennessee? Who was the one guy you looked up to? Who was your guy?
1: My guys my brothers, man. I I think, you know, we always look up to role models, but I had three brothers that played, you know, two brothers played NAI basketball at Lamb College in Jackson, Tennessee, and then I had another brother that uh, uh, hurt his knee, and he never really got a chance to play high school basketball, and his name was Leslie, and we kind of played every other day. You know, my brothers were – 15 to uh, maybe 20 years older than I was, so you know I was actually competing against grown men when I was like 13, and that also helped improve my game. You know, because when you're going against a grown man, I mean, you learn it a lot. But also, my brothers never uh, allowed me to beat them until I was until the time really came where I really just you know had improved and got better. And when I beat when I finally beat them, it was to me it was like winning a championship because it took me years to figure out. <laughs> how to beat them, and, and this is a true story, you know, and I, my brother would tell you, you know, the game, I, I never forget the game that I won against him in his backyard, you know, the game was tied 11-11, and I had the basketball, and I remember shooting the ball, and I don't know, I shot it so high, it might have it might have grazed some leaves, and it went in and hit all net, and I'm telling you, when I hit it, I mean, I, I think I ran home, because <laughs> I knew <laughs> that I, if I would played the next game, you know, it, it probably would have been a 12 a old skunk, but but I think when that, when that happened, it really, in my mind, I was like, man, I can beat anyone. No one can beat me now because it took me years to figure out how to beat that brother. And then once I beat him, then I was able to beat my other two brothers. Then I knew I had a rod. I mean, I was like, if I could beat these grown men, I didn't see teenagers being able to be on my level.
0: Now, that's awesome, first of all. Now, you were Mr. Tennessee. How did Coach Patino get you? What was his big recruiting pitch to you? How did he sell you on University of Kentucky?
1: You know, really, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it was it was Billy Donovan, man. Billy Donovan was relentless on recruiting me from phone calls to letters, driving down to Brownsville, Tennessee. Billy uh, had great charisma, um, an unbelievable family man, and was young enough really to, for me to understand, you know, just that this guy is going to help make me better. And I knew he had a, a genuine love for, for not only me but for my family and it, it it was an amazing connection that I had with Coach, Coach Donovan, and then of course Coach, Coach Patino came in and closed the deal. You know when he was when he told my family, he like, hey, you know my job is to get him to the NBA, and I think that's all my brothers heard with NBA. And you know my mom, you have to come in and really when it comes to a kid, you know my parents married for over 50 years, but you have to come in when it's a son, you have to come in and win that mom over. You know, and I think Coach Patino did a great job as well as Billy Donovan they came in and won my mom over and made her feel comfortable about uh allowing me to, to leave Tennessee and go to Kentucky. So it was a um it, it was a difficult move, uh, you because know, Memphis at that time Memphis was Memphis State, you know, University of Memphis. Now they were close to me and uh, you know, just to leave the state, uh it was it was gonna allow me to mature and grow up and uh, you know, I and at that time I really didn't know a lot about the history of Kentucky because I grew up being a, a Memphis State fan like uh loving Keith Lee, Elliot Perry uh, William Buffard, uh even Anthony Hardaway. I mean, there were so many guys that at Memphis that I grew up watching or I, or either I knew about. So it was, it was, a, it was a decision that I felt was best for my future.
0: Now I'm gonna tell you the truth, Tony. You might get mad at me. I was praying you were dropping in the draft. You went 16th overall, <laughs> and the Knicks had, I think, the 21st pick. Praying yeah. you were gonna fall to the Knicks. I hated that the Hornets drafted you so early. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, you know at at that time, you know, I I, I think going to Charlotte uh was good for me cuz I I looked at the two cities that I probably I don't know how long my career would last. Like New York was scary for me and and LA, you know, I think being mm-hmm. a small town guy, I think Charlotte fits me perfectly just coming from uh Lexington. I was like, "No, this is a great place for me cuz I I really needed a few years just to grow up before I even before I thought about going into these big cities cuz even when I became a free agent uh, my third year, you know, I chose Sacramento. And then after mm-hmm. Sacramento, you know, I went to Phoenix. So I kind of aborted those bigger cities because I had a really good series against the Lakers, and I knew I could have been a Laker at that time when I became a free agent. But once again, I, I said, you know, you have to know your temperature, what works for you. Mm-hmm. And I had to stay away from those bigger cities because I, I, I know I knew the distractions that would be there. And although you still can have the same distraction in the Phoenix or Sacramento or Salt Lake City, I, I felt something that was good for me was going to a place that kind of – it was a little bit different, uh, wasn't too much going on, and it was, it was my speed. Because if it was too fast, I think I would have been out there doing things
0: I shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> Tony, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? Like – because every uh, interview you have, a lot of it's about Kentucky, and I love co- talking Kentucky basketball. But I always want to know, what was your welcome moment. Well, you know,
1: I I, I got to think about that first game I had against the Bulls. I was, I was, um, you know, just, you know, you idolize Michael Jordan. You know, I probably had his tennis shoes on, and the first <laughs> time I get, to – it's almost like the first time I get to touch him. You know, I'm like, man, just, just let me touch you, man. You know, <laughs> you, you grow up. <laughs> And, this, you know, these are two grown men, but I'm, I'm still like a little boy. I'm like, man, that's Michael Jordan right there. I got his 10. I got I probably had about 15 or <laughs> 20 pairs of his shoes. I'm like, now I get a chance to face it, dude. How do I guard him? What do I do? What do I say? What if you said something to me? Do I respond? You know, so I think that was the moment that I was waiting on as a rookie was to face Chicago Bulls who, you know, that year, of course, won the championship. But, you know, how, how that team approached the, the court, um, you know, how they were professional, you know, when, you know, their job was by the, by the fourth quarter, I know Michael and Scotty uh, and Dennis, so those guys wanted to be able to ice it, you know. So when they – the first three quarters, they, they basically took your heart and ripped it out, and by the fourth quarter, they were all relaxing. I was like, man, that's a whole other level of competitiveness, but also it's the, it's, it's the competitive nature that Michael Jordan had at that time that tripled down to all of his teammates. And when you have your leader – work the hardest, uh, he loves the game and he's determined to win championships. It sets it sets certain teams apart from other teams. And, you know, even how this how this how this generation plays basketball, you know, it's more of a friendly generation, but you still have guys that are hungry and want want to win a championship because it's so hard to win on that next
0: level. Now I have to a few more minutes with you. I want to do some basketball talk. I'm watching TNT the other night and on Area twenty one with Kevin Garnett, there's Tony Delk with Rod Strickland and Rasheed Wallace. Great spot. And how do you get on that spot? I'm uh, I'm also trying to get on the area 21. How do you get on that?
1: And hey, you know what? My my it's funny. My I have a an agency uh, Wasserman out of uh, out of California. Uh, they got me on Debbie Span has been really great. She's been my agent uh, for the last two years. And they called me and asked me if I would, would, would like to go. I'm like of course, you know. I say you know, how can I not? You know, I'm in. I'm here in here, here in Atlanta. And you know I can drive 20 minutes to the studio, and then you know I played with Rasheed uh, my last year in Detroit, and Rod and I was on the uh, on the coaching staff at Kentucky together, and you know KG and I, you know we were we competed against one another, and it was great for me just to go on and just be myself. You know I think that's when um, you know when when that show started, you know it, it fits his personality, but also it allows it it allows everyone else to come on and be genuine, be who they are. You know and not something that's scripted, although, you know, there's scripts and things that we have to go, up, go on. But I think you can just be yourself. And you, you see, you start seeing players, whether it's WNBA, NBA, retired, current, is that guys are relaxed on this show and they're having a good time. They just, like I said, just like sitting on the couch and us having watching the game and watching TV, watching, watching the game, talking about
0: basketball, and just enjoying what we do. Tony Delk, am I overreacting? like by getting frustrated with this year's Wildcats. I feel there's no true leader, and it's getting me a little nervous. Am I only asking? No, you know what?
1: I I have this conversation with my friend, Antoine Spillman. You know, we always call uh, either during the game or after the game. And I just told him, I say, this is one of those years where we've been spoiled by having so many great players, all-star on the next level players, and um, that – we often forget, teams. you know, these are really true freshmen that could be two, three, and maybe possibly four-year guys. And what they're doing and how they're doing it, I mean, I don't disapprove of anything that Coach Cal has done. I'm, I'm happy with this team. Uh, you know, those guys compete at, at the highest level, but they're young guys. You know, they don't – they started this season out not having a leader. Like, who was going to be their leader? Was it going to be Knox? Was it going to be William Gaver? Was it going to be Green? Uh, Hamadou? We didn't know and, you know, we're still searching for that to this day. But that team competes. They play hard. They enjoy playing one another. So I think our expectation, because of what's happened in the past, you know, we look at this team and say, well, why is this team not, you know, 14-1? Uh, and 12-3 uh, and three is a good record for this team, and that's who they are. That's very fair. Okay,
0: a few quick questions. All right, Tony Delk? Let's do it. Georgia, Alabama, who wins tonight?
1: Man, I'm 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 living in Georgia. I have to go with Alabama. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, you and I are out at a bar. We're drinking your wine. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back?
1: I I gotta say my frat brother Shaq. I mean, when it comes down to you know when I, you know, I reach out to him every once in a while. You know, that's my frat brother. Um, uh, oh, that's on, a was
0: on when answer. I went to
1: Air Twenty One. Uh, you know, of course, you know we did our little, our, our little handshake, our little fraternity handshake. But just a good dude, and even um, a little bit, uh, a couple times last year, when we were working on the same gym. You know, we'll, we'll we'll chop it up for a minute. But we have a lot of mutual friends.
0: I'm gonna tell you, I've had on beyond celebrities, Dick Vitale, Omar from the Wire, all these people, and Shaq might be the best answer. I'm t- Tony Dell might have one coolest person in the phone answer. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Any player that you played with or against that you thought was going to be a star or, like, destined for greatness, but for one reason or another, they didn't make it?
1: Wow, that's, that's a tough question right there. That's uh, – you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to my, my college teammate, Roger Rose. Um, you
0: know, oh, I remember oh, wow. coming okay.
1: – uh, Roger was probably maybe the number two, number three player in the country – and uh, you know we came in, and Rod had so much. He he was ahead of us. He was, he was probably two years ahead of us as 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 college players. And I just saw him just being a guy that was going to have a long twelve to fifteen year career because of his uh, you know his athleticism, his length. Uh, just his his first step was probably the the, the quickest first step I've seen. And uh, you know so I think that was more surprising. Was you know that he didn't he made it to the NBA but he didn't have a length career like you know and that's one of my frat brothers and you know somebody who became a, a really good friend of mine you know he left our program right before we won a championship but he was so much better than we were and uh, you know for me not to see him make it I was I think I'm I was shocked that he didn't have a long you know
0: ten to twelve fifteen year career. That's a great answer because he played right right over the river in a, at a St. Anthony's in Jersey. So I remember yes. him playing, and, like, the, the yep. New York papers would just go crazy over him.
1: Yes, yes. The Jersey Jewel,
0: as uh, Dick Vitale used to call him. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> any memorabilia that you kept from you or from other players? Uh,
1: I, I think the, the one that I kept, uh, and I've been holding on for years, is uh, a signed pair of Carl Malone shoes. And I really haven't asked many people for signatures or, you know, autographs um, or any any memorabilia. But, you know, I, I just – for some reason, I think he took a liking to me. And, um, you know, I asked him after one of the games, you know, hey, could you sign your shoes over to me? And I was like, oh, you know, I was maybe second or third year in the league. And uh, one of the ball boys brought his shoes off. I was like, man, you know, I got Carmelo, Malone. So I've had those shoes probably for probably for about 15 years now.
0: <laughs> Obviously there is, but what's the significance to double zero?
1: Ah, my brother. My brother wore that number uh, in college, and um, the summer I came down to play with him back in uh, 1990, you know, he was like the brother, the brother that was uh, at the top of the mountain, or the top of the food chain. So I had to come down and face him, and and, and to get the to get the Delk title, I had to beat him. So when I <laughs> I finally came down and finally was able to beat my brother, brother who was at the pinnacle. Uh, that's when I knew I was like, you know what? I can take his number now. It's my number. And uh, so that number brought me, you know, a lot of good luck over the years. And I started wearing it my junior year in uh, high school, and I wore it for at least ten years before I couldn't wear it. on one of my uh, one of my teams in NBA.
0: With that with that was Boston, right? Boston had the chief Robert Roger pa- uh, Robert Power, so you couldn't wear it. And what was the yeah. other team you couldn't wear it for?
1: I was Dallas. Was, it was it's, it's funny because uh, when I when I got traded from Boston to uh, to Dallas Mavericks, uh, for some reason I don't know if it was bad luck or superstition, but Don Nelson, Coach Nelson, wouldn't let me wear double zero. So I could have I could have actually had the number when I was in uh, when I was with the Dallas Mavericks. But the only problem was there was something when I first got traded there, uh, their equipment guy, he told me, say, uh, you know, coach is not going to let you wear double zero. So I never, I never really investigated. I didn't do a whole lot of research into it. I just took the number seven and, and went with it.
0: That's crazy. Now, listen, you got to make me a promise. Your book's coming out in February. And I don't know if it's, if you do or not. Uh, up in New York, there's a bar called Jack Dempsey's, and it's a Kentucky alumni bar, and it's Wall to wall Kentucky. It's three floors, and when they play, you can't even move. Um, when you get when the book comes out, if you ever make your way up here, it would be the best place for a book signing, wine tasting. They flood anybody from Kentucky or Big Blue Nation who comes to New York. Go to this bar, and for games, Tony, it gets packed beyond belief. You should make this on your little book tour stop in New York, man. Oh, that
1: was uh, what, what what is it called again?
0: Jack Dempsey's.
1: Jack. Dempsey. I'll
0: email. Okay. KSR yeah, just did a show yeah, there. Yeah, Cameron yeah, Mills didn't show up in there, Tony. Yeah, any reason to come to New York. Listen, Tony, I got to tell you one last thing. Um, I became a fan in 92. Um, my first Kentucky game I ever went to was the Final Four in 1996. My mom got me tickets. And it was the game against UMass. Now, Tony, everyone remembers you against Syracuse, three-pointers. But the game against UMass, I fell in love because you had 20 points. You were the high scorer in – the semifinal game too that I don't think many people remember, and for me, that's my most memorable game. It's the first Kentucky game you I ever went to. So.
1: And what was so crazy about that game was you probably don't remember. I caught I I caught cramps in my legs, <laughs> so I started I, I missed about the last four or five minutes. And Coach kept looking down the side, he kept looking down the sideline, and he was telling our trainer who was uh, Joe and Howes. He was like, "Get him back in the game, get him back in the game." She was like, "His legs are cramped so my legs. Actually, during that year, I don't know if it was from the uh, – I found out later it was from, like, the sickle cell trait that I was, that I started cramping um, throughout that season. But that game, my leg started cramping. And I remember Coach, Coach you know, he kept looking at it. He's like, "We got to get Tony back in the game. And uh, eventually I went back in. So the next day I had to be on the IV uh, just so I can get, you know, the liquids back in my body and be ready to play in that national championship game. But a lot of people didn't even know – how bad my legs were cramping bad the game on uh, Monday night.
0: Wow, Tony, what a great way to end the podcast, man. That's a good story, man. Listen, first of all, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you a picture from Keenland with me drinking your wine. I'll email you okay. all the information about Jack Dempsey, and to have you all, man, is an absolute pleasure, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Mike, I appreciate you having me, man. It's been my pleasure.
0: I'll talk to you later, my friends. Okay, bye. The great, Tony Dell. I just want to thank everyone who listens to and subscribes to the show. I know anytime a Kentucky player comes on, my downloads go through the roof. I think my number one episode last year was like the Rob O'Neill one. And then the Michael K. Williams episode, Dick Vitale came a close third. But then everyone after that is every single time. A Kentucky comes on. Um, so I know this probably get a lot more downloads than usual. So just go to any podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you use, type in Mike Safo, M-I-K-E-S-A-F-O, subscribe to it, like it, boost my ego, come on, of the year. Has his own podcast dropping January 31st. He's the first member of the Mike Safo podcast family. So when he starts tweeting and posting it, we'll be doing it. He'll be doing an amazing show with different crappy players too. Everyone, thank you for listening. Have a good night.